we have been going through Matthew chapter 5, so you'll probably want to turn there if you're following along in your Bible. And we've been looking at the what's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is a label we gave it. It doesn't necessarily uh, say that in the Bible, but many of us that have grown up in any traditional church or whatnot know what that is. But if you aren't, you're in for a treat. There's some great teaching here that Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5. And it's really early on in his ministry. According to Matthew, it's one of the first things that he taught publicly. And uh, I think it's important for us as we're looking at Jesus' teaching, no matter what the context, no matter where it's at in the Bible, is what is Jesus trying to get across to his people? And, and he is the ultimate example to us. And he's the one who sets our priorities. He's our leader. He's the head of the church. He's the one who Jeff just prayed. He died and shed his blood. He laid down every, every right and privilege he had as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he became human. And he sympathized with us. And he suffered with us. And he identifies with our weakness. But he laid down his life and shed his blood that we might have the forgiveness of sins. He set an example for us. And when we look at his teaching, we have to then turn and look at our own hearts and go, what is Jesus trying to get across to my soul, to who I am, and the transformation he wants to do in my life? Because he's in the business of transformation. He's transforming us out of this worldly, sinful, broken concepts into holy, godly, spiritual concepts and challenging us to live and be transformed according to those things. And so we're going to look at some of those today. We went through the first four last week, and this week I'm going to continue on in the Beatitudes. And before I do, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your freedom, freedom that we could dance in awake and alive, as we just sang. Lord, that you brought life to us. Lord, that you bring transformation to us. That in our brokenness and neediness, you reach out to us. And so we come before you this morning, Lord, with open hearts. We open our hearts to you and say, God, do surgery on me today. Let your word go in like the sharp, double-edged sword it is. And do that precision work, that scalpel work in my heart and in my soul today as I read your word and allow it to transform and inform me. We submit ourselves to you and we're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The fifth of the Beatitudes that Jesus talks about. Blessed are the merciful. And what does it mean to be blessed? That word really is be happy, to be in a, in a state of happiness, to, to, to be blessed. And so we, we use that word in the same kind of idea, just recognizing that I have things to be grateful for, I'm happy for, I enjoy, and I am glad because God has done something for me. And Jesus is giving us uh, just, just concrete evidence of something. The word of God is authoritative and it's sufficient. And so that is what we rely on for our truth. And when God speaks something to us through his word, it's rock solid. It's not theory. It's not negotiable. It's solid to stand on. And Jesus taught us this. Blessed are 
the merciful. Chances are (laughs) we've all received mercy at some point in our lives for something. Of course we have. What does it mean to receive mercy? Well, you know, probably the most obvious example is that when we've done something wrong and we don't receive the punishment we deserved for the wrong that we did, whether it was as a child, in a relationship, and ultimately in our relationship with God. Important thing to recognize about our relationship with God is that we actually deserve justice upon us. It's called the wrath of God or the judgment of God. And it's one of the parts of Christianity we don't like to talk about because it kind of feels icky and weighty. But we need mercy. We have to have it. Because God is loving and he's just. And he couldn't truly be loving if he wasn't truly just. And he couldn't truly be just if he wasn't loving. He is the definition of those things. And therefore the wrath of God is upon sinfulness. And when we deserve to be punished, God has yet stepped in and been merciful with us. When we deserve to be punished, he has made a way for us to not be punished. But we live with this mentality sometimes that in our deserving uh, of guilt and punishment and those kind of things, we have a hard time letting it go. But the biggest example of mercy in our lives is the the mercy that God has had upon us. Who had any idea that when Jesus said, uh, blessed are the merciful, that he would have a mercy upon mankind that we could not even comprehend? A sacrificial mercy. The laying down of self in order that we could be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful. And in his example of being merciful unto death, he has set for us that example to also then be merciful. When someone in our lives really deserves our wrath and deserves our anger because we've been wronged, we've been sinned against, we have a reason to be offended. The Bible says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. And so we are called to be merciful as he is merciful. Luke chapter, 35, uh, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good. Do good. And lend <laughs> or give, right? Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Absolutely anti-worldly concepts here, aren't they? They're out of this world. They're not, we would, you know, the Bible often refers to the world system as Babylon or a Babylonian system, you know, Babylon concepts. And really what that's referring to is worldly systems of thinking and living and relating and, and those kinds of things. And yet Jesus was an anomaly of those things and challenges us to be the same. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. What? God is so kind that he's kind to those that don't even appreciate it. He's kind to those that are evil, even. And in some ways, we can identify with that, being ungrateful and evil at times. And yet, 
He has been kind to us. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment without mercy. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when we reflect on this in our own lives, in our relationships to the people close to us and the people not so close to us, how are we relating to them? How are we viewing? Are we approaching things, being as merciful as we can? I think it's important to recognize that there is a time for justice. There is a time. The scripture is very clear. You know, Warn a brother two or three times. If he doesn't receive your correction, have nothing to do with them. We do break relationship at times. In the Bible, Paul put people out of the church when they refused to be teachable. There are times that justice has to be done. But mercy triumphs over judgment. We always go headlong into situations with mercy in the forefront of our minds. And only under extreme circumstances do we have to take actions where we're breaking relationship with people. I think that's very important to realize because sometimes people would have a tendency to stay in an extremely abusive relationship for long periods of time, feeling that it would be wrong for them to make a decision to break that relationship in which they're being harmed. But I think there is a time and a season for those things. But Jesus' primary emphasis, you know, we do, those, we do that easily. We break relationship easy. We deal out death and judgment easily. We don't have mercy easily. And he's pushing us in the direction of having mercy before we dish out judgment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we're, it's kind of an oversimplification, but I've used it with us often to try and describe the difference between these two words, grace and mercy. And mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. We deserve to be punished. We, we deserve uh, some penance or whatever. But God doesn't give that to us. He paid the price for us, and so he doesn't make us pay that price of ultimate death. But grace is when we've received something that we haven't earned. It's something where God gifts us. He gives us the gift of eternal life. We didn't earn it. He gifts us in this life with many blessings. We didn't earn it. That's his grace. And he's called us to be that way with one another. He is the ultimate example. The situation of salvation and eternal life is the ultimate example of mercy and grace. And yet that then is our example to follow. There is a on the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, 
You know, the fancy box that held the Ten Commandments and the manna and the staff that had budded. and It really ultimately represented the presence of God. It was like a physical thing that, that God instructed them to build to be an illustration of something in heaven and his presence with them on the earth. And on top of that ark, if you've seen Indiana Jones, it's got two angels, cherubim on both sides. And that's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. That place, that presence of God. And when they came in for the forgiveness of sins with you know, they would sacrifice animals and they go into the holy of holies. And that presence of God was called the mercy seat, the place to receive mercy. God in all of his uh, right or righteousness or supremacy ability to judge, he, he didn't call it the seat of judgment. He called it the seat of mercy. He called his people into his presence to receive mercy. To receive forgiveness. A powerful illustration before the coming of Christ about what God has called us to in relationship with Him. A merciful relationship, not receiving what we deserve. And so then we take those words, that instruction, that example that Jesus has given us, and we look at ourselves and go, Am I merciful? All the people that I could speak out against and I could judge and have anger and wrath and maybe they deserve it maybe they don't maybe I think they do and I don't really know we aren't in a position to do that most of the time so we need to ask ourselves and go do I have a humble heart am I being merciful because the scripture says that I will then receive mercy and I need it I need it from God every single day In the book of Lamentations, uh, I don't know if I put the address up there for that, Shreya, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The book of Lamentations, and think about that. That was the book of Lamentations, lamenting. If you go back and read that chapter in Jeremiah, you know, it's just he's agonizing in pain at the destruction and the wrath of God upon Israel at that time. And yet he says this in the midst of it. Though we have been sinful, though we have been wrong, your mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Are we merciful? Are we approaching one another with mercy? Are we approaching the world around us with mercy? They're looking for good news in us. Is that what they're finding? A place of mercy that they can come to? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. As I was ruminating on this passage this week, I just could be a several messages on being pure in heart. You know, what does it mean to be pure? What does this word pure mean in the scripture? Clean, unstained, innocent, guiltless. And we all kind of go, well, <laughs> that rules out all of us. 
Because we're not all pure of heart. We have our issues, don't we, in our heart? What is our heart? When the scripture talks about our heart, I mean, I think it, I think it mentions the word heart, I want to say something like 800 times or something in scripture. Not once is it referring to the organ in your body that pumps blood. Not one time. It's talking about the part of, of your inner self, your invisible self, your soul, that becomes the center of your being. It's where you have your being. It's where you have capacity to have a will, to make a decision, to make a choice. It's where, you, um, where your character, your mind originate from. It's really just referring to your invisible self that we can't see. That source of preference. The idea that we can make decisions, that we can think things through, that we have emotions about them, and out of that we then choose the, to live, to make choices in the way that we live. Tyler had mentioned before that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means out of, out of the uh, abundance of something that you have a propensity towards or will for or behaving or, you know, that inner self. And I think we all kind of understand what that means, but it's an interesting thing to have to think about. Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. One of the things that um, the psalmist said, Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who should, in other words, who shall approach God? Who shall be in God's uh, presence? Who can be with God? And really, we could even uh, talk about this in terms of eternal life. Who can really be in the presence of God eternally? And who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In other words, Who's going to be with God? Who's going to be able to be around God? What does it mean to have clean hands and a pure heart? We sang some different lines today in the songs that have those concepts. Clean hands, meaning I don't have dirty hands. I don't have sin on my hands. I don't have blood on my hands, we would say. I don't have guilt for something. Or a pure heart. I'm innocent in my motives, I'm innocent in where I, what I've been thinking and how I've been responding internally to someone. See, Jesus didn't go after mere appearances. He didn't want us to just look all religious and stuff. That isn't even like his primary focus at all. At all. He is after the heart. He's after the inner man who you actually are and in, in the inside. Because we're all messed up, and we all see that. And, and we all do that on the outside at times and make mistakes and those kind of things. But Jesus is after the heart. Because if he can get to the heart, if we can submit our actual will to him and, and, and operate according to his will rather than our own, then there's a, there's, out of that will flow life. And all of the decisions and the actions that we take and the way we relate to one another and the way we treat one another will reflect that actually transformed, healthy inner self. 
if we want our marriages to be better, if we want our friendships to be better, if we want our relationships with our communities and the people around us and the world around us to be better, we've got to operate from that innocent, transformed, guiltless, merciful heart. Not the old, tainted, messed up self. Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, which he did all the time. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So is Jesus giving these guys instructions on how to wash the dishes? No. What is he speaking of? See, this was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees. They wanted to look good on the outside, but it did not matter what was on the inside. It was about mere appearances. Mere appearances. We use that accusation of being a Pharisee or Pharisaical, but what was the key thing that Jesus was challenging them on all the time? They looked like something, but they weren't actually. They were pretending to be holy. They were pretending to be good. They were you know, giving these long, amazing spe- uh, prayers, and, and they, there was just a, a haughtiness there. And arrogance. And yet inside, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. Because the heart wasn't being transformed. There wasn't an actual transformation of the inner self. And all of us know how burdensome it is to try and carry an outside look. To just look like we've got it all together. To look like we don't make mistakes. To look like we're good people. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I'm good, you know. And that's a burden, that's a hard burden to carry, especially when it's contradicting what's going on inside. Inside you're raging, or inside you're hurting, or inside you're ashamed. And you put on a good face and plow through. But it's so much easier to do. It's when it, live it on the outside when the inside's in good shape, right? When my heart is really good, when I feel that pure heart, that forgiveness of God, that I, I'm really letting him rule in my life, it flows naturally out of me, the goodness. The goodness of my actions and deeds and the way I live. Jesus was after the Pharisees because they wanted to look like something on the outside, but they were not in reality. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? And yet he go, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And on the surface we could say, Oh, the Bible is contradicting itself here. But I think we all can identify and understand this. Our hearts are sick. Sin has broken us. It's corrupted us. And yet there's so much life that can come from our heart as well. You know, and we're in this contradiction of our, this war inside, this conflict of interest. I want to do the right thing, but even when I want to, sin is right there, hampering me, as Paul taught us. Fortunately, there's a, a solution to all this in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. What is it speaking of? The, the process of salvation, Jesus called it being born again. There's a rebirth that happens. That heart can be made new. 
that hard heart, that broken heart, that sinful heart can be made new. And springs of life can come from it. A a flow from us because of who Jesus is in us to the world around us, to our relationships, to all of our situations in which we find ourselves. Life can flow when, when we've allowed God to do that transformational work of replacing our heart, our broken sinful heart with a heart where he rules and reigns, where he sits upon the throne. And then indeed it will be true that there, we, 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 from us would flow springs of life and it would no longer be desperately sick. I think we probably all can identify with that feeling. I'm, my soul is desperately sick and broken. does say to keep your heart with all vigilance. We're actually called to guard this. To recognize its value and regulate even what goes into our heart. What we allow to absorb into our soul. You know, it's why the things that we absorb ourselves in are important. Whether it's books or movies or thoughts or ideas or concepts the things that we allow into us that corrupt the heart we've got to guard those things because they do corrupt we go back to that scripture in Solomon it says uh, who he who has clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted up his soul to something false what does it mean to lift up your soul to something false I think there's probably a lot of different ways we could interpret that, but one thing that comes to my mind is the idea that I would see something that isn't true or I would not absorb the truth of it. I would just absorb something false as true, and I would incorporate it and weave it into my heart, and out of that falseness, false things would flow. We've, what you, you reap what you sow. So if you're sowing things into you that aren't true or aren't godly or don't line up with his attitude or don't line up with his way, you will, that will begin to flow out of you into the world around you and begin to corrupt your relationships and corrupt your communication and corrupt your actions. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart. There's so much life that can come from you. You, I'm talking to you as an individual. There's so much life that can come from you because of who Jesus is in you. And that life can flow out to the world around you. But if, you're, if your input is not Jesus, it's whatever, fill in the blank. There's so many things I could fill in the blank with there of what we consume ourselves with. I find, you know, one of the things I've had to do lately is just limit my news intake because I will begin to obsess over the chaos in the world. And I kind of think they want you to, so you keep coming back to check, right? There's a little bit of a process going on there. But if, I, if all I do is think about the evil and the catastrophe and the division and the controversy and the anger and the da 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 whatever it is, if that's what I'm filling myself with, that's what I'm going to be pushing out to the world around me. But the scripture didn't call me to that mission, It called me to the life-giving mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a merciful, meek, poor in spirit. These things that Jesus has been teaching us. So when we go, God, what is my role and responsibility in the world around me? It's to, out of that life-giving spirit of Christ that's in me, influence the world around me. That's what we're called to. 
And we're being tested to the core in these things, these principles today. Guard your heart. What is dominating your thinking? Because it will flow out of you and it will impact your relationships. Very important to wrestle with. Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is our prayer, that God would create a clean and pure heart within us. I think I'm going to save the other two for another week. I'm running out of time today. The thing that God dropped in my heart this morning, um, I shared it a little bit with our team on the way in, uh, or, or when we were praying this morning before we got started. Is uh, just on my way in, and you know, prayerful this morning, and God often leads me into Psalm 23. And the very first verse of that psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. And in this teaching that Jesus is doing, he is shepherding our soul. All these things are, are, other than the last of the Beatitudes, they're all part components of our soul, attitudes of our heart, uh, a way we posture ourselves spiritually. The Lord is my shepherd. He's wanting to shepherd his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are to be led by him. He is our example. He is our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need of anything. I shall not want. I shall not be in need of anything. Because he is our shepherd, we don't need anything else. That is our source of life. That is our source of everything we need to live a righteous and godly life. It comes from him. It doesn't come from that outward appearance. It comes from that character and principle that he sows into our hearts. And then out of that, all of our actions flow. The world today, as it always has, it's really nothing new. The world today needs people that bring life. And the only one that really brings life is Jesus Christ. And so that message, that attitude, that spirit, these concepts, these beatitudes, and all these other things that Jesus taught us, those are the things that we carry with us into the world around us to influence it for the good. Those are our weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Paul taught, but they are mighty. <laughs> what do you mean? The poor in spirit are mighty? Yes. The meek are mighty? Yes, they are. The pure in heart are mighty? Yes, they are. These things make us powerful. They are the source of our message for the world. Would you stand, please?
we just have a couple minutes. So I just, if you, we're going to pray. So if everybody would pray with me. And if you're just in a need of a touch from God, whether it's physically or whether it is in your heart, in your broken soul, that would love that breath of life from God to be breathed into your soul. One of those couple things, would you just lift your hand this morning? Would you just humble yourself and do so? Lift your hand. We're going to pray for you. If you, if you would like to, we're not gonna, I'm not going to gather around everybody or have you come up front. We don't have time for that this morning. But just, if God's tugging at your heart and you, you want him to minister to you today, physically or emotionally, would you lift your hand? Just as a sign of submission to him. Lord, I lift up all of these this morning, Lord, that have raised their hands and said, God, I need a touch from you. I need that life-giving spirit breathed into me today. I need that healing moving through my bones today. God, you give the breath of life. You formed man from the clay and you breathed in his nostrils and he became a living being by that power. And Lord, I pray for each one of these that have submitted themselves to you today, Lord, that you would breathe that life, that powerful life into their bodies and into their souls. And Father, I pray that these, these character concepts of who you are, this godly nature that you showed us in humanity through your son, Jesus Christ, would be infused into their hearts and minds. Lord, that that, that removal of the heart of stone and that in, inserting of a heart of flesh would be taking place in all of our lives, especially those that have submitted themselves to you today by asking for a touch from you. I pray that they would sense your presence and your love and your power moving through them this morning. God, I pray you would encourage them, Lord, that they would go out today with great joy and out of their heart that that spring of life would come forward, Lord, to influence their relationships with one another, even their own relationship with themselves, their own understanding of themselves, Lord, that you set captives free, that you remove fear, that you remove shame. Lord, I pray for freedom today for those that have submitted to you today, whether it be in their physical bodies from illness or a heart-sick kind of illness or just a desire for you, whatever it is, Lord, you see it. You know them. They're your children. They're your sheep. You are the good shepherd. And we won't need anything because you are the good shepherd. God, we praise you and we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys, that's the conclusion of our service today. We do have a prayer team up here as we do every week. If you would like to continue to receive prayer, please do not be shy. And don't hesitate to come up. These guys, they're good folks and they'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you later.